the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. All right, let's get back in here today. It's New Generation Declassified, and it's an all-new episode of New Generation Declassified every single week if you didn't know by now my name is chad and uh i'm happy to be welcoming back one of my favorite people in the collectible world a guy who i consider a very close longtime personal friend and uh without any further ado i'm i'm itching to talk to this guy fresh off a birthday mind you it is the great captain mr uh nick of captain's corner i don't want to give you full uh Secret identity out, but the captain. Oh no, has no, us. no! Thank you, thank you for having me back, Chatster. Always a pleasure to talk a little, a little WF new generation, and uh, you know I'm in for however long you need me to. Well, you're a night owl. We've already discussed. That, we have. So, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> You've been hanging out with Marty Janetti too much. You are oh, a night owl. Turn wolfie, into the wolf. The wolfie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nick, one thing I love about what you do uh, with Captain's Corner, and uh, I tell you this all the time, you know, you go out there and you find obscure guests, you know, guys that don't do shows regularly, guys that aren't always around. Uh, but you also seem to really dip into my era a lot, this new generation era. And that's another thing that I love to chat with you about. And we've had these conversations off the air. We've had them on the air because you've been on the show a handful of times, but man, you make it easy for me when you get the guests that you do from the new generation. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we, we've talked about it, especially now that, you know, I've, I've been able to do this full time now for, for two and a half years is that, you know, you and they're great. You know, the common, the common names that you see out and, you know, there's a reason you see out, they're very successful. They're very well known in what they do, but in order to kind of, you know, make your niche and, you know, extend, extend my time doing this. I, I, I kind of have to, you know, bring out the guys that maybe you wouldn't see at, uh, you know, your everyday wrestling conventions. And, you know, that's why I brought lots of old school guests from the seventies and the eighties. And of course the nineties. And I think there's someone in particular that we're going to be talking about that I've worked with recently, but correct me if I'm wrong, Chester. No, we will be. Absolutely. That is the, uh, the reason you're here, but coming up on your, uh, your schedule, you've got other members of the new generation uh, coming up. We'll talk about that now, but we'll also remind everybody later on but you've got uh one half of the uh the probably one of the most dominant tag teams of the new generation era the smoking guns you've got one uh at, what is he called daddy ass now <laughs> daddy daddy ass himself yeah billy, the, billy gun billy gun uh you've got one of my favorite guys in the whole world mark canterbury and dennis knight the godwins you just had a couple weeks back uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, of course. I did. I did. PCO, and the guy that we're going to talk about today, and that is uh, the great Bruiser Mastino, a.k.a. Mantar. A.k.a. Tank from the Truth Commission, if we're talking WWF too. Yes, he is Tank from the, the Truth Commission. Probably better in the USWA as Tank. He probably fared yes. a little better yeah, there. Yeah, he, he, did, he did have uh, you know, a, a better run win-loss-wise there. He, he did. He definitely did. Uh, but before we get into Mantar, just tell us quickly about what you got going on with the Godwins and uh, and Billy Gunn in the next uh, couple of days here. Well, I, I could tell you that it's, uh, it's, it's a busy weekend for the captain. Uh, Friday, uh, this coming Friday, 
November 11th. Uh, the prime, the prime series I have is the happy hour series that we do on captain's corner. We're streaming exclusively live on Facebook. We are looking to implement a couple of other, uh, uh, places to stream on, but right now it's on Facebook. We're going to have Billy gun, AKA daddy ass, AKA W hall of famer. And of course, half of the smoking guns, he's going to be with us on Friday night. We're going to have all kinds of photos, figures, cards available for purchase. That'll be from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Friday. And then, like you said, next night, November 12th, we're going to have Happy Hour with the Godwins. Henry Godwin and Phineas Godwin. I've worked with each of them before, but never together. So um, I'm I'm really interested to hearing, you know, all the BSK stories and, you know, seeing where we end up. I got a case of beer ready for each of them on Saturday night. So, uh, you know, it should be a good time. As everyone knows, it's been able to tune in to my virtual signings. I really like to keep them as interactive as possible where people have questions, you know, e- even if you're not able to purchase, because you know how it is with everything going on in the economy, people might not always be able to, you know, spend 25, 30 bucks to get something. But if you're in the room, you're asking a question, I'm going to do my best to ask that question. So really interactive. Uh, lots of times, you know, it might be someone like uh, if someone's in the middle of the country, they may not always have a chance to meet Phineas Godwin to Henry Godwin. So, you know, it's kind of a way to bring those guests into your living room, wherever you are in the, in the country or even the world. That's my favorite part about the virtual signings is that you open yourself as a, as a business owner my, that I am, you open yourself to is an endless amount of people that can reach you. And even though I don't partake in them myself, because I don't know why, I mean, I can talk in front of this microphone all day long with my eyes closed, but when it comes to doing the virtuals, I just, I haven't gotten on board yet. And I don't know how I could uh, even light a candle next to the old captain there. He does such a great job. And uh, yours are, are very entertaining because like you not only do you have them relax and you guys are hanging out and I've been in the room when you've done them. So I see like how it goes, but you are a, a good knowledge fan. You know, you have a, a, a nice history of, of what you're, you know, you're talking about, you know, some of the, the things you don't have to just read off the screen and uh, that probably makes it a lot easier for the guys, you know, when you sit them down. Uh, but a guy like Mark Canterbury, he is so freaking cool and nice that you really you can't go wrong <laughs> when it's somebody like him, because he is just uh, he's, he's very giving as it relates to telling some of these stories. Uh, what a guy. And, you know, and, and you would know and maybe all the listeners don't know, but, but they might know, too, is that when, when you've been around as many different people in the business, you kind of know who's, who's kind of maybe giving you half truths, giving you, giving you partial truths. And then you got like Mark, get a guy like Mark Canterbury. That's just as honest as they come. And you ask him a question, you're going to get a 100% honest answer. And he's, and he's great. Such a good storyteller. He's got a great memory and he was around everyone. He was in WCW. In 92, 93, he was, of course, in the WF 95 through 99. You know, he was around every pretty much nearly every big name during the 1990s. So a bunch of great questions that I've got ready for him. And if you tune in on Saturday night, you might be able to ask a question or two to Mark or uh, our good old buddy Midian, a.k.a. Phineas Godwin. <laughs> Not naked Midian, though. We don't want that one. <laughs> no, I can't I couldn't get a picture of him clear on Facebook. <laughs> Yuck. Well, that's well, we'll, we'll save that one. <laughs> Uh, Because I'm glad we'll spare everybody who would have purchased that. Uh, Let's talk about Mantar. Okay. You spent this past weekend with Mantar. Uh, How do you pronounce his last name? Halleck? 
Mike Halleck. Yes. Mike Halleck. Okay. I just, I didn't want to butcher that. Mike Halleck, AKA Mantar, AKA Bruiser Messino, AKA tank of the truth commission. Um, interesting career. Everybody remembers Mantar. And if anything, they remember Mantar because they rip the new generation for characters like Mantar. And I want to kind of pick your brain. Uh, we should have done this last week. You know, we tried, but, um, other things came up, and it's okay. We're going to do like a, a recap Bet, of your better time. Better late than never. That's right. We're going to do a recap of your time um, with Mantar because I'm sure there was probably a, a moment in time where a guy like Mike, who is still, you know, he's, he seems like a pretty tough character, that he probably didn't really appreciate what Mantar was able to provide him at one point. Would I be correct or incorrect in that assumption? Well, I, I, I can't really speak on how he was in the past, but I, I could tell you that during both uh, my time with him on and off the air, he said how he is so appreciative of all the fans and everyone who allowed him to live his dream. He was someone, he grew up a wrestling fan and he wanted to break into wrestling. And because of PN News, who was pretty hot in WCW TV yeah. at the time, living in the same town in Nebraska that he was living in. You know, he, he it wasn't easy, but, you know, he had he had a way in. And uh, it, from what I talked to him, it doesn't sound like there's a day goes by that he doesn't appreciate the fact that that he had mentor. Now, he didn't necessarily like the full execution of the character, but there were parts that he did like. And he realizes that. Let's be honest, Mantar is more memorable than a lot of other wrestlers that have longer runs with the company. You know, it's just if you see Mantar once, you you won't forget that you've seen him. Which and isn't that what wrestling's all about? Like, you know, yeah. characters. Yeah, and especially during this new generation era where, you know, everybody was supposed to have a uh, a job function, but no nowhere on anybody's uh resume can you put Minotaur, you know, half man, half beast. And for some reason, Vince McMahon saw him and thought, I got to turn this guy into this uh, walking, you know, I, I you'd almost, <laughs> this is just funny looking back at it today as I was reading it. Remember Man Bear Pig <laughs> from South Park? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Mantar was like the prelude to Man Bear Pig. He was, If you right? look at the way the costume's set up and you just got to think like, what the hell was going through the mind of, of Vince McMahon when you create a, a character like Mantar? Well, so he actually talked about it, and uh, I didn't know this until he confirmed with me that the look that we know as Mantar, with with the bull head being worn to the ring, with the, the, the paint over the eyes, that was not the original look. The original look was just the Mantar on the singlet and him having a normal head of hair. And, you know, he did some dark matches, and that's what they were going to do. And then I don't remember if he said whose idea was to give him, you know, the the the, the infamous, you know, I, I guess not really. Is it a bullhead? I guess it is a bullhead. Um, it's it's like I don't know. It's it's weird to describe what it is because if you haven't seen it, yes, like it's yeah, it's it's not a bull, but it's not like a bear, and it's not like a horse or like I don't know. It's a yeah, it's a weird. combination of yeah, a combination of bull, horse, bear, um, uh, just yeah, some kind of large animal's head, and then underneath he had the head shaved with you know to look like horns and the face paint, and that was the look that he he actually thought was best for the character as well. So um, just so memorable, that, that Mantar character. And he actually, he was getting a, a, a pretty good 
a pretty good push at the time, you know, beating a, uh, you know, a lot of enhancement talent on the televised TV matches. And then, uh, you know, he had told me that uh, actually, I believe uh, Razor Ramon uh, was the one that might, may not have been the biggest fan of the Mantar character from what I've heard. Yeah, I, so I caught that in uh, in some of the press that he was doing uh, with you over the weekend, and, and kind of dipping into uh, to your to your signing. I I know the match. That's probably Mantar's biggest televised match during that time in the WWF. Is the match he had with Razor Ramon on Superstars? But I was very surprised to hear that there was such disdain. Now, look, am I shocked that there was some heat behind the click? I mean, I had Shane on. Uh, last week talking about, you know, the infamous uh, intercontinental title switch at In Your House 4. So am I surprised? Absolutely not. But I was just surprised that sort of the vigor that still was behind Mike's comments about Scott Hall. Yeah, uh, excuse me, sorry. I, I, it, took, it took me for, you know, uh, I, I was surprised too when I first heard it. But it seems genuine. And... Uh, I think that deep down he may not admit it, but he probably, you know, holds some animosity still with Scott Hall because of how everything went down, you know, rest in peace to, to Razor. But I think that's kind of something that Mike really hasn't gotten past, even if he's aware of how things went down. I think that he's, he had a pretty good relationship with Shawn Michaels, it sounds like, had a pretty good relationship with Kevin Nash, although he wasn't a huge fan of Kevin Nash. But it sounds like Scott Hall's opinion of where, what the Mantar character should or shouldn't be on the card is kind of will let to Mantar coming down the card. Yeah, well, you know, Scott Hall was a sarcastic son of a bitch to certain guys. And oh, if course. he didn't, if he wasn't a big fan, then he would probably sarcasm the shit out of you. But Nash was very diplomatic and guys that didn't like Sean and Razor always ended up saying still good things about Kevin Nash and Sean Waltman. So it's kind of funny that, you know, he has not bad things to say about HBK, but you know, the, the, the venom is still there for, uh, for Razor Ramon, even after his passing, you know, you hear some guys lighten up a little bit after the guy is gone, but new no, uh, Mantar still feeling pretty, um, pretty strong about those feelings, but let's, let's dial it back a little bit. Sure. Bruiser Mastino gets two wrestling appearances on house shows for the WWF August 25th and August 26th in uh, 1994. And I wouldn't say the biggest markets the WWF ran even for that time, Omaha, Nebraska and Des Moines, Iowa. And I'm sure that was probably just a little bit more closer to where uh, Mike was uh, centralized. Uh, But he gets a, a win over Nikolai Volkov one night. And I believe the following night, uh, Nikolai beats Bruiser Mastino. So he gets a look in the summer of 94, and there was something there that they saw that they liked, but they did not want the Bruiser Mastino gimmick, which, you know, again, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's nothing that's going to, um, you know, uh, sell out Madison Square Garden, but it's a good tough guy little uh, persona. But there was something there that they liked, and in the summer of 94, they, they wanted to see a little bit more. Yeah, he, he, he talked about it, how, of course, he felt the best opportunity to succeed would be if he went in as Bruce Mastino, like in the dark matches that he had the tryout with. And it, that just wasn't happening. And as we know, 
1995, WWF, 1994, WWF. Everything was just so larger than life and sometimes occupation-based and colorful. And Bruiser Mastino, while, you know, like you said, it was who Mike, the character Mike, even even when he signs up as Bruiser Mastino, he signed a few Mantar photos and then he signed one as Bruiser Mastino. He goes, I just love signing this the most. This is who I want. And it was one of those, it was a genuine moment. Um, but Bruiser Mastino was not going to, get a lot of tv time in 1995 wf yeah he definitely wouldn't have um and it's funny you know and we won't cover this this second but when he ended up having a cup of coffee in ecw you would think that the bruiser mastino persona had a better fit in ecw than it would have in the wwf but again pairing him with nikolai volkov isn't also going to be probably your most shining spotlight because no offense to the great Nikolai, even though he was always in great shape, you know, he's not pulling any, you know, uh, uh, 30-minute bangers, uh, you know, at that point in 94. Well, oh, Nikolai wasn't wasn't going more than 15 minutes in 1984, you know, <laughs> and that was when, when he was teaming with the Sheik. But, um, yeah, by then, of course, Nikolai was older and, you know, pr- probably not the best person to be able to show off your repertoire against. But um, the fact that that first night that, that you know, he did get the win over Nikolai, uh, you know, at, who, granted, you know, was probably at, at that point in his lowest role in the company he'd ever had, but he was still very respected. And, you know, that says a lot about what, what they did think that Mike could do, whether as Bruiser Messina or, you know, another incarnation of a character. Yeah. Uh, just for shits and giggles, this is a very Captain's Corner uh, heavy uh, house show in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh, let me hear it. Let me hear on it. August 25th, 1994. Uh, opening match, the one, two, three kid defeats Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. Ooh, love me some Lombardi. Love me That's some one of, one of your guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and now the interesting thing, I wonder if he was MVP at that point or was he Abe Knuckleball this Schwartz? This is Abe Abe and actually we don't even have a knuckleball. It says Abe Schwartz. Okay. Uh, okay. so they were they were feeling pretty cool uh, about that. Uh Jerry Lawler defeats Duke the Dumpster Drossy. I've had hey. Duke on before, absolutely. I know you have. Uh Lex Luger defeats the Barbarian. So this was wait, when was this? August ninety-four. So he was still he, he wasn't was even Sioni yet. He was Sioni. He was on his way to being Sioni, I believe. I believe he becomes Sioni in 95, but he is a sub for Crush. Mm, You know what? Hold on. This is right around that fall of 94 is when Samuel leaves. And he got, yeah, so I guess they probably, maybe they had him in just his case, or maybe they were going to give him a run again as a barbarian. But yeah, that that makes sense, I guess. Okay, the Smoking Guns, preview for Billy Gunn, defeat Well Done. Oh, I, there's not a, there's not a, a year that doesn't go by when I don't tell someone that if Timothy Well and Stephen Dunn were both still alive, Stephen Dahl, that I would have worked with them at least twice by now. I, Rest in peace, both members are well done. I 100% uh, believe you. I actually just watched uh, Tank versus uh, Stephen Dunn on uh, USWA TV preparing for this uh, this wonderful podcast endeavor uh bruiser mastino sub for virgil defeats nikolai volkov and in the main event the undertaker defeats yokozuna in a casket match wow and and you said that that was the omaha show omaha nebraska in front of 1200 screaming world wrestling federation fanatics uh yeah uh, you know what actually i mean considering let's be honest it's such a memorable time but you know in 94 95 
WWE wasn't exactly setting attendance records in too many markets. So 1,200 people in Omaha probably isn't that bad of a house. <laughs> and 2,000 in Des Moines uh, on the 26th. Oh. So, uh, you know, Des Moines. <laughs> was that a similar lineup? Exactly the same one. The only thing that they did different was that I must Billy must have gotten hurt on the night before card because the one, two, three kid takes on Abe knuckleball Schwartz, who by the way, was subbing for Rick Martell. So imagine that a one, two, three kid, Rick Martell match on this uh, card, but the kid also steps in for Billy Gunn and teams with Bart to take on well done in Des Moines. Ooh, that would have been a fun match. That would have been agree. a fun match. Cause you know, the, that, that 1994, one, two, three kid. I mean, he had a hell of a career, obviously. Everyone knows him as X-Pac and Six and whatnot. But that Lightning Kid, one, two, three kid era from like 92 to 94, early 95, before he really starts having the neck problems, is so quick, athletic. And he's 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 one of the, the breath of fresh airs on TV at that time, you know? I 100% agree. I just watched the match of uh, the kid and uh, Bastion Booger pre-Survivor Series 93, and for that to be entertaining uh, was all because of the one two three kid He was just – he was so slick and could fly. I mean, he legit flew all over the ring, and it was uh, – yeah, you're right, breath of fresh air. Um, tell me this, and, and I can only fit so much information in my head about uh, pro wrestling. Were they running Mantar vignettes prior – to his debut uh, that to Ooh. me i'm completely lost on. <laughs> you know what i wish you had asked me this before because i would have done a little research uh, but uh i would think they would have had to you know um just at, at the very least maybe a mantar's coming or something in the magazine you know before he appeared on tv i mean i don't remember off the top of my head um but I, I would think there would have been something before, especially before before someone like that pops up on your TV. You know, there, there would have to be some some kind of, uh, you know, a advertisement in some sort. You know, I, I would think there was. But, yeah, no, now I'm curious. I don't know. When was Again, his actual debut? So, Chester? well, if you go to Wikipedia, they're wrong. Uh, they have it listed as uh, where the hell was it? Um, uh, Superstars of Wrestling taped December tenth, nineteen ninety four. Tell you right now that is one hundred percent incorrect. Uh, but broadcast on January seventh, nineteen ninety five, uh, where the Mantar character debuts, defeating Walter Slow. Now, the one funny thing that I did see in my research about this is that on the German edition of Superstars, they do a clean. Uh, entrance where there's no commentary over uh, the great Bill Dunn, who was uh, the ringside announcer, and he is not introduced as Mantar, he is introduced as the Minotaur. Actually, yeah. I'd heard that. Before. Yes, now if you switch over to your American commentary, they speak over Bill Dunn, he is Mantar. I bet you that was one of those things where after they they filmed, uh, you know, the TV. They're probably, you know, just talking amongst themselves and being like, how about just Mantar? Because correct me if I'm wrong, the actual character is is uh, that that he's based on half man, half horse or whatever. Right. Is Minotaur. Right. It's a Minotaur. Right. It's right. A Minotaur is the, you yeah. know, the 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 creepy jacked guy with the horse ass, you know, and yeah, the horse yeah. legs. So that's the kind of thing, you know, where that what were they going for with that freaking head? Because it's not a horse. No. It's like a, a weird hybrid of like five animals 
and he looks completely ridiculous. Again, we will we'll touch on this in a second, but just to get through the debut, where do you think they would have had a little bit more success if they just called him Minotaur? Because a Mantar is nothing. A Minotaur is like, oh, okay, that's those weird like romance novel covers that you see in the supermarket when your mom's food shopping and you're looking at the WWF magazine and you see those uh, Fabio style romance books. Right. We know what a Minotaur is, but what the fuck is a Mantar? Well, my guess is that besides even the sound, they might have done something like that just to potentially have owned the name. Because I don't know if they'd be able to, you know, trademark uh, the Minotaur. Right. Someone's got to have that for something. Right. There had to have been a comic book character or some kind of, you know, fictional character beyond the uh, mythological one. Um, where I, I would think that's besides, I guess maybe Mantar sounding more aggressive than Minotaur. Maybe they, they thought about that, you know, from that perspective, just the marketing of it. I, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah. They have a, um, under December 12th, 1994, they have, um, at a Monday night raw taping Mantar with Ted DiBiase and it just Mm. defeats an unknown. Now him being linked with Ted DiBiase is absolutely just ridiculous and makes zero sense um i don't remember this getting to tv did he talk about any association yes so 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 thank you um ted dibiase is who got him in to the he was the one that got him the trial because they're both they're both omaha boys ted was uh you know uh born and raised in omaha i believe and as as was mike aka mantar so he did talk at various points about how he would have liked to have been managed by he didn't say he would prefer him over Cornette. But he did say that he would have liked to do something with Ted while they were both up there because Ted plays such a part, in, you know, getting him that tryout. So, um, I mean, so if you think about it, I, I don't I don't dislike him being in the corporation at that point, you know, because, OK, so it let's say early 95. Right. So they he they have to talk. Bam, bam, bam is about to go out. Nikolai's kind of in and out. Bundy's there. Um, who who else is there? Sid's not a part yet because he had Bam Bam. Bam Bam's about to get kicked out because of the whole LT thing. Yep. I mean, I I could some kind of weird six man squash with you know Kama, you know Kama Tatanka, and uh, you know Mantar beating up some uh, some Ham and Eggers. But see, now, I don't that. see him as Mantar. Then then I see him as Bruiser Mastino. And you know what? Maybe, well, maybe that that would have been the move. You know, n- another another enforcer type. You know, but uh, I kind of I kind of I'm starting to like either Bruiser Marcino or Mantar in the corporation. You know, maybe even Mantar picking on Nikolai. Like I I kind I, I kind of dig it. You know, so maybe he was right there with. Uh, you know, he would have wanted a chance to work with DiBiase. I mean, at, at that point, he just it didn't really. And I'm sure we're going to talk about Cornette. You know. Um, I get Cornette's definitely a better a better fit on paper than our 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 close personal friend Harvey Whippleman, who uh, <laughs> cap, Captain's Corner favorite. Who yes yes indeed. But, but um yeah, I think DiBiase had had that. I don't even want to say more credibility than Cornette because Cornette, of course, you know had had helped Yoko and the Heavenly Bodies were at various points a threat in the tag team division. But um you know I feel like DiBiase it might have given him even more credibility if that makes sense just talking about it out loud what do you think 
I would tend to fall kind of in the middle. Okay. I don't really know if I have like a, a vote because <laughs> okay. I think both are ridiculous. I don't think the guy needed anybody because mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a minotaur. It's a mantar. It's a it's a beast. It doesn't need like a you uh, need to unle- talk a unless yeah unless it's like you brought back the wizard or something or you know you brought back some off the wall. I'll give you somebody who would have been perfect at this point for um uh a, a guy like like the mantar or the the minotaur if he could have stayed in, in employed at this point in uh the WWF if you kept your your doink who you've talked about before heel you could have had an evil clown with an evil minotaur <laughs> wow we we are we are, Come on. There's, a, there's a door that we're breaking through right now or that- what about Jerry Lawler right how about Jerry Lawler in his weird king's court has could, this mythical beast that that may be actually uh, Jerry Lawler having d- discovering some kind of minotaur when tracing his royal lineage yeah. could could have actually been really not, pretty funny. Not now, the now, rich guy, you know, yeah. or the guy in the polyester suit. Yeah, it, it's well, you know, it could have been worse though. It could have been Fuji, you know. Uh, See, I was, was gonna say him too, but Fuji was, I think way past his his, yeah. his better days. Fuji Fuji just standing around Yoko at that point is uh is is kind of what what he what he was best at at that point. But cuz who who else? Cuz at that point Whippleman was managing well done in the feud with, with Howard Finkel, right? And Quang, yep. of course. Yep. Uh or as Bruce Prichard calls him Quang, right? <laughs> uh, um so yeah, I I I, I kind of I kind of like the I I still like the idea of DiBiase, you know, having the money to maybe maybe buy. Ooh, I like that. Maybe okay. DiBiase bought the only Mantar for that he. Yeah, okay, he all right, the, okay. He the only one in the world he has can to afford have. it. The right. I, yeah the the uh, from the Isle of what the Isle of Crete. The Isle of um, Crete, yes, yes, yes. He 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 flew there and he found the only Mantar still living. I mean. I'm smiling thinking about that that evil laugh after he tells everyone about his new acquisition, but uh, I feel like we we just booked Mantar better than I bet, yeah, you know, I, yeah I completely yeah. agree. Yeah, I don't, um, know, I don't know what that says about the the 1995 uh, creative team, you know, but uh, that's story for another. Brother Brucey was there as well, so I uh, just have to point this out. Another Captain's Corner guy uh, also had a dark match or at uh, this raw taping, and it was the blacksmith. Uh, defeating an unknown. Any any idea on who the blacksmith the was? The blacksmith. <sighs> Can you give me a clue? Because I don't know. Uh, you've worked with him, I believe, in the past year. Oof! I've had like 120 guests in the past. Uh, hey, listen, I just I didn't say uh, where or when. I just you're said right. You're right. Year. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have you let me know because I love learning little facts about this. Who was the blacksmith? Uh, I'm wait. I'm also gonna point out on this same taping. Uh, Quang with Harvey Whippleman pinned Rich, Rich Myers, and after the bout, Vince McMahon interviewed Vinny Pazienza. Ooh, <laughs> Vinny Pazienza segment. Just cool. that's that's personal between you and I. Uh, it, it sure is. As and I'll, I'll let everyone know the Chaster and I did a, did a signing with uh, good old Vinny Paz right in the middle of the yes. and <laughs> that uh, caught my eye. So this would have been you said ninety five. Now, this is nineteen ninety. This is December nineteen ninety four. Okay. And this guy, you just worked with him, I believe, about a year ago, uh, maybe even less. Maybe it was the summer, for all I remember. Uh, the blacksmith, also known as 
Max Payne. Oh, int- I never knew he was called a blacksmith. Wow. That's an interesting name. Well, that's I, I wonder what it looked like. Are there any pictures? Of- I'm going to guess it was Max Payne called the blacksmith because Just- Man Mountain Rock had colors. Max a Payne lot- had the black. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, and I, I think that, you know, Max Payne, and then we could have a whole episode on Max. Max as Max Payne could have done something in the WWF at that time. You know, I mean, he was he was kind of colorful in a dark way, if that makes sense, with the purple guitar and like you know the the odd colors in the black shirt, and you know he had that the big teased up hair. Obviously, not as colorful as Man Mountain Rock, but you know, um, interesting. I, I would have liked to have seen him as the blacksmith. Yeah. No, completely. Uh, I completely agree. Very intrigued now. Uh, so he debuts on the January 7th edition of Superstars. Uh, he is solo for that. Like I said, Minotaur or Mantar, whatever you want to call him. Uh, but soon after that, they would pair him with Jim Cornette. Now, at the same time, they're trying to get this Mantar ridiculousness over. They've got David Heath Gangrel under a mask as the Black Phantom, not really knowing what to do with him. They brought in a character like Hakushi, who's about to go on a huge run and have a uh, a springtime feud with uh, Bret Hart. And uh, by this point, January, uh, Max Payne is now Man Mountain Rock, and he's on the uh, the scene as well. So a guy like Mantar, who's just brought in, is now having a lot of competition on the heel side from a lot from some names. And what are you supposed to do with him? So you pair him with Jim Cornette, which if you're Jim Cornette, that's got to be a, a, a hit to the ego because you're you're going from this top spot with a Yokozuna now to essentially, you know, a more goofy opening card act. Well, I think, yeah, Cornette's and I'm not able to, you know, uh, say verbatim what what he said about Mantar, but I know it wasn't one of his, uh, you know, favorite moments in wrestling, even, even, even just this time in WF. Um, and, and that actually makes you wonder if they, if they, the amount of confidence they had in Cornette or may, or the amount of confidence they had in Mantar, was it let's put Mantar with Cornette and see where it goes. If he can, if he Cornette can get to the next level, or was it, we see something in Mantar. So let's put him with Cornette. And, you know, like Cornette, like you said at the time, he was not fresh off the Yoko run because Yoko had lost the, the belt at WrestleMania 10, but Yoko was still a top guy, still headline Survivor Series 94 with Taker. And, uh, you know, yeah, he other other than the Heavenly Bodies, they even took him away from the Heavenly Bodies at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. He, the Heavenly Bodies ended up just being a, uh, a solo duo. No Jim Cornette, uh, if that makes any sense, by the way, solo duo. Uh, they Jim Cornette would just kind of make his way away from the uh, the bodies, and then eventually they would be broken up, and you just see Doctor Tom on his own and Jimmy Del Rey fired. So uh, he did some bad stuff, Nick. I'm not sure if you're uh, <laughs> if you're you're privy to some of Jimmy Del Rey's antics, but I, I, well, I, for working with Doctor Tom through the years, and I, I think it, it, I don't remember the specific incident in question, although I, I've I've heard a lot of stories about Jimmy Del Rey. But yeah, they never really played out uh, any kind of breakup angle. But Doctor Tom was just uh, Doctor Tom on the Heavenly Bodies on you know the Body Donnas, well, Skip Red Radford Survivor Series team, and then yeah, and a then couple of weeks later he got a haircut. Yeah, well, Jimmy Del Rey did some bad stuff, and that's why he got fired. <laughs> so I don't doubt that. Um, 
But basically, look, Mantar's in the Royal Rumble. Okay, he lasts nine minutes. He gets eliminated by Lex Luger. He's on TV. He's beating jobbers. Um, memorable for this time is the uh, the WWF magazine spot that they have. Uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley trying to teach Mantar uh, some manners. Uh, if you want to check out the story by Jim Cornette on his podcast about that magazine shoot, it is hilarious. And how Jim Cornette really did everything in his power to make it work. And it just, it was going to die on the vine. Well, let's, Chester, I don't want to interrupt you, but let's not, yeah. let's not bury the lead here. Royal Rumble 1995 is in some ways one of the more interesting Royal Rumbles of all time. Just based on that, well, correct me if I'm wrong, was that the first Royal Rumble that wasn't either one minute or 90 seconds? That, that was like, right? It was, it was the shortest, yeah, it was the shortest time clock they ever had. Which, if you follow it, it's not even close to being accurate. I'm sure. And it's, it is, you know, when they would tout that as the uh, the Shawn Michaels epic, it really wasn't. I mean, it was incredibly rushed. Um, it was probably the least impressive uh, Royal Rumble roster that they ever had. And a guy like, it's funny, a guy like Luger, who was pushed so far down in the eyes of the, uh, the fans by January 95, for him to be the one to eliminate Mantar, that's telling you something. Well, I, I need I need you to make me a promise right now. Right. And uh, when you do the watch along for the 1995 Rumble, I want to be on. Because <laughs> the reason why it's so fascinating to me is not only the time thing, it's that it is the least star-studded Royal Rumble in history. Yeah, Like Dick Murdoch pops up on that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's probably one of the top guys. They like name value guys in the match. <laughs> yeah, we we need uh, we can spend an hour on Royal. Well, we could probably get it done in a regular podcast duration because it's short. <laughs> so, you're right. You're right. You're right. So let, let's do it. Oh, all right. We, I will. I, I will bring back the captain for that one. Please, um, please. You let I me. We'll do that. But but continue. You were talking yeah, about to continue. About you know, look, he did not. He really did nothing. Okay, he he did have a match with Bret Hart. Uh, I don't remember it. I I remember the Razor Ramon one. I didn't remember the Bret Hart. This was at a wrestling challenge taping in Moline, uh, Illinois on August, uh, April 26, 1995. He's got a King of the Ring qualifying match uh, where he lost to Bob Holly, uh, Which was a big upset at the time. Because I remember as a kid thinking Mantar was going to beat, you know, this, this jabroni race car driver that never really wins singles matches. And he... He beat him, if I remember. Did he beat him with a dropkick? A dropkick? I believe he did, yeah. And then Bob Holly had a great showing at the King of the Ring. He did. Um, that was that was the first kind of little push that Bob Holly got. Yes. Yeah, he did great in that King of the Ring. Uh, and then Mantar's final televised match as Mantar, he loses to Bam Bam Bigelow, which, again, shows you how far this character fell because Bam Bam was on the way down after that yeah. WrestleMania and King of the Ring. And if you watch that match, it's Bam Bam with the full fire gimmicks on his wrists. You know, the uh, the really shitty version of the Bam Bam theme song. He beats Mantar well, <laughs> on Mantar's that, way down. That, that 1995 roster, um, the, the WWE has so many talented people. WF has, has so many talented people on the roster at that time. And none of them had the value they should have been. Lex, Bam Bam, Tatanka, Davy Boy. You know, they had all these guys that were in the mid-carters that could have been upper mid-carters or should have still been main eventers. And because they had all these stalls and starts and stops with pushes and feuds and stuff, like there was half the company 
was in obscurity. Obviously, you know, Sean and, you know, was becoming a top guy and Brett and Taker were already there and Diesel was there. But there's so many people that could have contributed to making, you know, the card you know feel bigger because that roster is not a lame roster at all. There's mm-hmm. so much talent. Shane was there, gets there in the summer. You know, like I really like, and it might be because I was, you know, 10 when it was going on, but, but I, I, I really like that, that 95 roster. I think that if, if you put the right booker in there, I really think there's so much fun stuff you could do with those guys. We'll take your word for it. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. It was really not good when you look back at it. Uh, then, you know, he's in the, uh, the infamous lumberjack match at in your house too, which is where, uh, diesel basically, uh, kind of like fucks up his elbow and uh, on a botched power bomb by Sid, and it, it really put a big, um, you know, like little asterisk next to Diesel's title run because his the rest of his time he spent in that um, huge elbow pad embrace because of Sid botching the power bomb, and he's just a random lumberjack in that match, and that's it for Mantar. So he he's Mantar from December. To uh, what in your house? Uh, two is um, I think July, July, five. Yeah. yeah, so, so we're talking eight, eight months. That's it, you know. And he would be sent kind of out of the company. He'd pop up an EC dub for a uh, a cup of coffee. Those fans gave him shit and uh, chanted Mantar at him like crazy for him to only return in April '96. And I don't remember this, Nick, to save my life. The unnamed bodyguard of Goldust during the Goldust feud with the Ultimate Warrior. They were in Omaha, I believe, for that. Um, and I actually completely forgot about that too. Uh, he he had told the story about, um, yeah, he he they they wanted someone. I guess Dustin was a little banged up, so they needed someone to take some of the Warriors' offense. And uh, you know, actually, it, it's it's kind of an interesting role, you know, because. He he didn't have a bodyguard, but Goldust would have been a good character to have a bodyguard, you yeah. know, along with along with, of course, Marlena. I feel like it adds something to, you know, how he's coming across. Yeah, just uh, no recollection of this. Uh, good Friends, Better Enemies is a great um, match. The, the Diesel oh, that, uh, Shawn Michaels match. That's my my favorite match of the two. I like that better than the WrestleMania match. Yeah, very, uh, very good match. And uh, yeah, I don't remember uh, him at all. He's just bodyguard. He's not any named. No, he didn't have a name. He didn't have a name. He's just bodyguard and uh, pulling it up here quick while we're talking and just looking to see him. And uh, and Warrior was jacked (laughs) in 96. That goes without saying, I think. But uh, yeah, there he is. He's got like a little, uh, what do you call, um, uh, fedora on. And he's, he's. That's Mantar that was right almost Bruiser Marstino. It's almost like that's the closest he came to Bruiser Marstino on TV for the yeah. WWE. Yeah, and there, yeah. Warrior kicks his ass. Uh, here's another little fun fact. I just love doing this. Did you know that after uh, Good Friends, Better Enemies went off the air, there were three dark matches to close out that show. I didn't know specifically for that show, but I know that because in your house was only a two-hour pay-per-view, they would have some pretty big dark match main events after the pay-per-view went off the air in 95, 96. So I did, I did know that. But l- lay it on me. Who, who are the main events? You got it in well, front of you? Yes, I, of course I do. Well, for those 9,500 
as 63 fans in the Omaha Civic Center in Omaha, Nebraska. After Good Friends, Better Enemies goes off the air, Nick, they got to see Savio Vega defeat Stone Cold Steve Austin with Ted DiBiase in a singles match. They got to see one Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeat Mark Merrow, who pulled double duty on this night, uh, who was accompanied by Sable. And in the main event, The Undertaker with Paul Bearer defeated Mankind. Not, not a bad uh, three matches to stay for. Not at all. Yeah, those, those in your houses were, um, for for a value perspective, they they were solid, but they they didn't really know how to navigate um, the fact that they had gone from you know fitting entire pay per views in three and a half and four hour slots, and now they were kind of putting certain matches and the hour 45 minute window so it'd be weird that you wouldn't have half of the in your house i feel like was like just preliminary matches or lower mid-card matches it wouldn't really they would never have too many well-rounded shows right they were they were very bad i uh read the card to shane uh that that took place after uh, in your house, four went off the air, and he uh, agreed with me that the card was much better for the house <laughs> than the pay per view. Which one was in your house four? In your house four was Winnipeg, where uh, Shane has the uh, Intercontinental title, uh, cup of coffee, and the main event was Diesel and Bulldog. And uh, the, the closer of the show was Brett and Isaac Yankum. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, I see. I was thinking Winnipeg was the one where, uh, Shane introduced Buddy Landell, right? So that's Hershey. That's okay. December. Oh, man. Let me tell you. 1995-96 Buddy Landell. If he could have had a longer run if he didn't get hurt. Oh, man. I'm all in for that ride. Let me tell you. <laughs> could have had it. Yeah, he was always a, a call-up guy whenever they needed well, it. But... Well, they, they, they put him over Bob Holly the yeah. next night on Raw. Which yeah, I remember. Which at the time was, uh, was a pretty big win for him. And I, I guess there was... He, he got hurt somewhere, and I guess there was the following week, and, you know, they didn't do anything with him after that. But, yeah, I, I love little, like, one- and two-week-off appearances. G- gave him the Ric Flair uh, theme music from a few yeah, years dun, prior. Dun, dun. Yeah, they that. did. They did. Love that. Love that. Um, but as far as uh, Tank of the Truth Commission, we can't cover that. Falls out of our jurisdiction. So, uh, fortunately, if there's a post-New Generation show out there, they can uh, they could talk about it. So he did end up coming back very briefly as part of the Truth Commission. He was a masked member. I think by the time the Truth Commission really got like their television exposure, Tank was uh, not with the uh, remaining Truth Commissioners. Yeah, and I want to apologize to you know all ten uh, members of the Tank fan club that we're not going to be uh, talking too much about uh, the Truth Sorry. Commission right now. Sorry, so. folks. I've got strict parameters here. And um, damn it, I'm going to stick to them. Uh, Nick, before we let you go, just give us the wrap up one more time. What you got going on this week? It's a big wrestling convention weekend. Uh, and of course, that night before Friday night, you're going to be rocking and rolling as only the captain can with a little happy hour. Oh, you know it. So, yeah, the, uh, how can I forget before? Uh, one of the biggest wrestling conventions in the Northeast. The big event is uh, November 12th, and that's going to be from 10 to 2 at Terrace on the Park. Uh, Queens, New York, and I'm going to have Billy Gunn, the Godwins, and uh, I know she doesn't she doesn't fit uh, the theme, but current AEW star Red Velvet, 
And that's sandwiched in between the reasons for the season. Happy hour with Billy Gunn. And like I said, one half of the smoking guns. That's Friday, 6 o'clock start time, Eastern time. And then Saturday, 8 o'clock start time, we got the Godwins. And I'm very proud of my photo selections of all three of those guests. Because for Billy Gunn, yeah, you can get some of the newer stuff. But you can also get shots of him, one half of the smoking guns with him and Bart, with the long trench coats, the hats, the mullets and mustaches. You can also get a photo with him with Sonny, with the more modern short hair, where, you know, they just, they got the tag gold around their waist. So great photos, okay. photo options for Billy, great photo options for Solo Henry Godwin, Tag Team Godwins, and that's Saturday night, happy hour with the Godwins, 8 p.m. I mean, if you're not tanked by the end of it, I don't know what to tell you. Then your uh, your job wasn't done. Because, amen. It all goes down. Facebook Live, Captain's Corner on Facebook. Awesome. And please, please drop that you listen to the this show right here, the New Generation Declassified. And you know, maybe you heard us talk about Mantar. Maybe you want to pick pick uh, the Godwin's brain or Billy Gunn's brain about Mantar. But you know, uh, come on in. And like I said, the room, the, the the happy hour bar, captain's bar is always very accommodating to all newcomers. So oh, welcome uh, everyone. And, and it's always open, uh, 20, 24-7. You're like uh, Norm from Cheers. You get a there nice you go. Little, there uh, you go. Everybody knows your name by the time you're uh, you're ready to go. And I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I love having guys like you come on and talk about it because we we experienced it. We watched this. We suffered through it as fans. We can now like kind of pass this information along to the uh, to the next generation and to those that tapped out. Um, but you know, just being around these uh, new generation folks is an interesting little uh, interesting time. And I hope you uh, you have some fun with uh, all these guys and convince Billy to bring back the mustache uh, if you can. Because I'll, I'll I'll do I'll do my best. And you know what? As a completist, like I said, we're 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 talking about the new generation. It was such it was such an interesting time. But because the product wasn't even what ten year old Nick was liking, and WCW was no better, I wound up discovering ECW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, uh, it, it it actually it did play a role in my my um coming of age as a wrestling fan but looking back on it you know i know maybe, maybe uh, i don't want to look back on the rose colored glasses but it, it as a completist it was fine for what it was <laughs> uh, yeah i would agree with you it, it, it's serviceable i'll tell you what like catching it if you're if you're like if you're really like you can't sleep or something you can throw <laughs> on some new generation stuff it'll take you carry your like uh insomnia oh that's stiff but yeah it's like you know it, it you got to find the good stuff. Some like, whereas I can watch any of the eighties shit and it really like keeps me entertained. And I, and I want more sometimes the new generation. I'm like, all right, I just got to go right to Brett or I got to go right to like the top guys. Cause some of it can be a little hard to digest. Fair enough. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, all right. Well, if you want to follow me anywhere in the world, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter. It's at IB exclusives. On Instagram, my website is ibexclusives.com. Uh, there you can find out some of the signings that I have going on, more of the sports world, the baseball uh, players from the past, but also some wrestling sprinkled in there here and uh, every so often. I won't say all the time, but every so often. And uh, if you go to belowthecollar.com, you can get the official Chadster T-shirt and the new perfectly rated shirt that is uh, on its way to below thecollar.com slash IB exclusives. Uh, Nick, 
you know I love you, and I'll tell you I love you all the time. I'm very open with my uh, love for the captain, and uh, I hope to keep this conversation going again, and uh, we'll bring you back for the 95 Rumble. Oh, please just just give me a, just give me a day at a time, and I'm interested. Always a pleasure have <laughs> being on being on one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. Anything oh, you do is gold. Man. This may be 24 karat. Oh, look at that! And for the great captain, this is your old buddy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.